Sitting Going to Read, Chapter 15 of Denton the War Sociologist. The rest of the fight was a complete blur to Denton. He remembered vaguely charging at the big soldier when then nothing. The next thing he knew was a pounding headache and a pain so fierce that he feared his neck was broken. That was a noble use of your pate, lad, came a weak voice from behind him. He thought of he thought the voice sounded familiar, but when he tried to turn and look at the speaker, the darkness closed in around his line of vision and he felt a wave of sickness turning in his stomach. Lie still, lad. His father's voice. He'd know that voice anywhere. His father's big hand caressing his forehead and cheek. He'd know that anywhere, too. He breathed a great sigh of relief. The brood of a soldier did not cut his father down after all. Slowly, his vision began to return. What happened? He moaned. We only saved, we only saved all our students. This was John McLean from Bearstead. Telephone recognized his voice, and with that recognition, more of his memory of the fight returned. The fight was clearly over, but how much time had elapsed? You brought down the biggest and meanest of the lots of Bearstead again. His father cradled Duncan's head in his hand and offered him a dram of something liquid. It made him gasp as he drank it, but it warmed him from the inside and his vision seemed to cl- seemed clear. He smiled at his father. He didn't he get me, said Duncan. God fought on our side, lad, said his father, gripping on Duncan's shoulder. Our times are in God's hands. My time hadn't come. Thank ye for what you did, Duncan. Your mother would have a food. Did they hurt Briar bad? Said Duncan. Arch Duncan Duncan came from the next to him. Do you think the English boots can prevail against the likes of ancient Briar? Duncan turned and smiled at the pale, drawn features of the old man. Wincing with pain, Duncan struggled for a sitting position. Trust in ropes along the wall of the barn sat four scowling soldiers. Corporal Deans isn't bad, then, said Duncan. Unfortunately not, said Bearscope loudly, though it was my best pipe. Lead balls works much better on an Englishman. It set him on his heels, scratched him a wee bit, and made him bleed some. But alack, there's been more harm to his pride than than to his person. You'll all pay for this, said Corporal Deans, two teeth gritted in pain and rage. Paying of two kinds, said Duncan, his father grimly. Aye, we may pay in the hands of the English oppressors and defending our neighbor, our neighbor against your brutalities. But bearing your your repentance, you'll pay. I'll pay on judgment day. Make no mistake about it, sir. We'll pay, you'll pay King Jesus for your crimes against the Kirk and his bearers. Deans fell to a sudden silence. Duncan's father and Bear's Club dressed his companion's wounds. Then, when they were finished, 
They got into a heated discussion over what to do with the president. Bearscope friends suggested hanging them there and there, then and there, but Bearscope and Duncan's father refused to even consider it. Finally, it was agreed to give them quarter and free give them quarter and free them, but without their weapons or horses. Stiff and aching, Duncan rose to his feet and helped his father load Briar into one of the horses. Though he protested at their help, after his ordeal, he lacked strength enough to walk on his own. Bear Club and his men gathered the weapons and turned out the prisoners. Sandy McKee, said Bear Club when they were gone. You can, we've not seen the last of this. Aye, said Duncan's father. What we've begun, what we must need finished, said Bear's Cub, gripping the Sandy McKeith's arm. We'll need the likes of ye and your boy to finish it. Aye, was all that Duncan's father said as they covered Briar. As they covered Briar, let the horse out of the barn into the drizzle and headed up the lane toward home. Can we count on ye? Bearscope called after them. I'm a peace-loving man, Duncan's father called without turning around. And I'll not say more until I've until I've talked with my father about it. They walked on in silence for some time. Mercifully, the drizzle ended as they emerged from the forest. Father, said Duncan, what made the difference? The difference in what lad? Fighter. He can taking up arms. His father sighed deeply before answering. God's law tells us to love our enemies, but it also tells us to love God and our neighbor. It is not so easy to ken those commands seem to come in conflict with them. But I but I believe as God is my judge. It was a matter of loving our neighbor that it made it necessary for us to take up arms against our enemy. And you might say that restraining our enemy from doing evil by stopping them from roasting prior lies is a way of loving them as well. But what happens next? asked Duncan. When Turner hears of it, he's sure to wreak vengeance on you, on us. I wouldn't wonder if that vengeance will make past plundering look like midges and pickings. That's why we go home, Adam. Will there be a call to arms? protested Duncan. And if there is, can I come? Who'll care for your mother and the wee ones if you do? Duncan wondered. Uh, if now that the time to tell his father all about the tunnels and passages below Dunfog Ruin. Instead he asked, Father, will you teach me how to fight like he did today to fight with a sword? Duncan looked at the broad back of his father just ahead of him. His father made no reply for some moment. Finally he said, Duncan, if I can impart to ye strength and skill in fighting the battle of your soul at the same time, then I'll teach you. 
Whatever happened to the ancient briar? called Duncan's mother as they neared the croft moments later. Duncan's father explained briefly, leaving out as Duncan pursued it, all the exciting bits of the fight of the soldiers. Until Turner's men won't like it, said his father continued as he laid the old man down gently on the chaff-filled mattress on the front of fire. We'll tend our neighbor just the same. We certainly do, said Duncan's mother. I've got hot broth simmered and ready for your supper. It will revive him. Now, Fiona, now then, Fiona, you take this bowl of warm water and bathe ancient briar fields. And may judgment fall on those who gave them to you. I've no bridges, said Briar, though faintly. And I'll not submit to being hefted about like the lack of oats. Sack of oats. Mind ye, a bit of broth sounds inviting, and if you'll just add a morsel of oat cake with it, I'll be on my way back up to my own crop. Now hear this, Briar, said Duncan's father firmly, but not unkindly. We're staying the night right here until you gain more strength back. I'll hear no protest in the contrary. So be saying, grumbled Briar. Well then, after supper, I'll tell the story of what really happened. I've gone and left out all the bits. You've gone and left out all the bits worth telling. You'd, you'd have been proud of your own man today, Mary McKee. I you would. Drink your broth, Briar, said Duncan's father. Weakened and exhausted from his ordeal, no sooner did Briar drink the broth, the old man was sound asleep, much to the relief of Duncan's father. Briar's wheezing snores and, wor- and worry over that the English might do retaliation kept most of the occupants and the crop fitful throughout the night. Next morning, Duncan heard his father steal from the croft when it was all dark to make his private place of prayer, uh, private place of prayer on the moor. Duncan knew his father would be confidently learn these latest troubles at the Almighty's feet in prayer. When he awoke later that morning, Briar loudly insisted on being taken to his home in his own crop. He assured them there was nothing wrong with him. Both Fiona, Duncan, and his father walked with a sturdy old fellow back the hill and saw him settled in his cottage. They threshed some corn for him, lit his fire, and Fiona prepared a pot of broth and some oat cakes. Ye can just leave my claymore here beside your bed, said Brian. Ah, where I can reach it. I'll not go along so easy the next time. If they hadn't gone and taken me by surprise, strapping young fools, I have stretched each one of them out the floor without any of your help, Sandy not meaning to sound ungrateful. Duncan's father smiled as they left the crop. Briar's a step one, bearing up so through such trouble, said his father, as he pulled the door again, closed against the November chill. He looked up at the churning gray and black of the clouds. More rain's coming, he said. Then Ken looked up in, at the menacing clouds, as, and as he did, his eye caught sight of his castle. 
his lone tower just visible over the rise to the north. There could never be a better time to tell his father his secret than right now. I'd like to show you something, father, he said, and I think it's best be seeing it too, Fiona. Not as his father, following Duncan's gaze up there, is it? I found a secret passage under the old ruins of Dunkard Park Castle, Duncan blurted. blurted. The truth is, we didn't know it. Duncan fell silent for a moment. A flood of memory suddenly made him unable, unable to speak. I'm thinking it might prove useful someday soon, he said, when he recovered himself. Lead away, lad, Dan said to his father. Duncan set a brisk pace, leading his father and Fiona into the ruined walls of the castle. Halting near the concealed doorway, Duncan said, Do you see anything? His father studied the crumbled remains of the castle and turned over the chair. Duncan, I have seen only rubble left. Fiona looked at her brother, wondering what secret he had about to reveal them. And if he were looking at it and didn't see it, said Duncan, bending over and prying up the concealed door. Grunting as he heaved the door open, no English struggling could ever find it. Duncan stood proudly next to the gaping entrance. Just a clever find, lad, said his father, nodding with approval. It looks dark, and Fiona peering into the hole. Well, it will start. His father made a light with his flint, and Duncan took him down below, showing them the gallery as he hoped would work for safekeeping of his family if working. He explained how the passage seemed to continue, though he had never been all the way to its end. For months, Duncan and Jamie had been stocking the passages with straw for bedding, old sheepskins for warmth, oats, corn, and tallow candles. Growing more excited, Duncan showed his father and Fiona where everything was. He even showed them how he and Jamie had rigged a way to close the concealed door from the inside so that those below would be safe from detection. Does anyone can this place? asked his father as they closed up the door. Only Jamie. He almost added, and Brudy, but caught himself before he did. Oh, an ancient choir. We told him all about it, though we didn't show it to him. I wonder if he didn't care about it already, though. I hope we don't have the need of it, said, said his father as they made their way back down the hill to their crop. But it comes to that Fiona. You will bring your mother and Jenny and Angus here. I, Duncan, Rudy has done us another noble deed in finding this passage, and we and Jamie have done well in preparing it for use. I only wish times were such we had no need. So that was chapter So that was chapter fifteen. Bye guys, see you later. See you later, see you later, see ya, see ya later. Bye guys. Thank you.